the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, Aubrey and I are going to reflect upon that ongoing tragedy out of Miami. And then we're going to be joined by Doc John Feuder, founder and director of Heart for the City, as we talk about the Chicago Land United in Prayer events going on this weekend. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us, Aubrey. I can see the weekend. I know. I can taste those hot dogs. I can hear those fireworks. (laughs) I'm excited. It is like within our grasp. Everything we talked about yesterday of all the Americana, go to the parade, fly your flag. As you said, eat the hot dog. What are you most excited for? Hot dog? Apple pie, fireworks, what's what's most exciting to you? Most exciting to me, and I mentioned this to you yesterday, is my opportunity to wear my Captain America shirt, which is already hanging up in my closet pristinely, getting ready to be worn so I can celebrate my my Marvel love and my patriotism all at once. That is ridiculous. I know, it's ridiculous. My husband has been making fun of me, like, why are you hanging up a t shirt? I'm like, I am getting ready. This is imp- the America needs me to wear this. But why would? But I get that. But why hang up a T-shirt though? His question well, it, still remains. <laughs> it can't be wrinkly. It's got to be like smooth and nice. Okay, I think that's a whole other topic for another day. Do you <laughs> hang up your T-shirts? Do you also hang up your jeans? I do. Yes, I do hang up my jeans, and I hang up a lot of my. T- my t-shirts let's move on from this what are you excited about brian hold on hold on hold on is there uh is there any outer garment shirt pants whatever any outer garment that you do not hang up i don't hang up my pajamas and i don't hang up my exercise clothes okay that's very specific yeah or take, yeah my socks my oh that's i guess that's is a sock an outer garment no 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 no, no. socks have a drawer I'll just leave that at that. All right. So, so I do think something I've learned on the show is I know when to dive into a topic <laughs> when you say we should just move on from that. Those are you actually. Do. You always press forward. You take those as invitations when I'm trying to move a totally different direction. Those That's are true. actually the moments we should keep diving in. So. I have to be mindful of that when I say that. I'm gonna, yes. Yeah, I'm going to have to be really careful. Okay, but literally, what are you excited about for the fourth? Oh, we're getting out of town to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's. Nice. Uh, they've got a house up outside the Dells with a boat and everything. And all of my wife's family basically will be there. So it's going to be very quick. We're there okay. for like 48 or 72 hours, but it's a blast. And Fun. It's that relaxing. is fantastic. So, uh, and of course, preceding that, there's a little bit of baseball to be played this weekend. Oh, so. how exciting. <laughs> Your baseball weekend. At it again. A little bit of baseball. So, no, we're hopefully you're looking forward to a 4th of July weekend. Uh, relaxing, friends, family, whatever else it is that you're doing. Hopefully there's some hot dog consumption in all of your uh, future. Absolutely. Well. There better be some. All right. I want to do start with uh, more sobering news and uh, something we've been watching over the last couple of days and talking about here on the show uh, is that tragic, tragic collapse of the condo building in Miami. Uh, oh, it's awful. Yeah. Uh, there have been some more uh, confirmed dead. I believe the death 
is up to 18, but really the missing is like 145. Yeah, so really yeah. the death toll is going to end up around in the 150s or so. And it's just such an unspeakable tragedy. And Aubrey, there was some video footage I'm sure you saw it that came out of like mm. literally 10 minutes before the building collapsed. Somebody shot video of just cascading water like there oh. are leaks. Uh, you could start to look at it and be like, yeah, there looked like there was some real structural Scary. issues there. But yeah. I don't know, Aubrey. I still struggle with like that's not the only building that I'm sure has structural issues. I'm, right. I'm guessing the randomness of it and the um, Prevent- yeah, I guess preventa- the re- preventableness of it. Yeah, but also I, I do. It reminds you again of how little we're in control, right? Again, mm. people could have done their jobs better and taken care of this. But again, these people had no- the people who perished had nothing to do with this. And it's just exactly. if I were a family member, I would just be just heart, not heartbroken only out. Obviously, over the loss of my loved one, but the randomness and, like you said, the preventability of it uh, has to be just uh, – it's got to be almost terrorizing. Yeah, it's not just that they died, but the way that they uh, lost their lives is so horrific. I think that's just a hard, hard, hard thing to to move forward from it all. And so I think it's a good reminder for all of us to be praying for Miami to be praying for the frontline workers, to be praying that somehow God's spirit shows up there, bringing them comfort. And uh, like you said, a reminder too, I think the randomness of life and the value of life. Like, yes. you, know, you just don't know all of the stories, all of the um, unfinished conversations, all of the things that ended because of this. And so I think it's a, you know, you hate to take a life lesson from someone else's tragedy. I don't, I don't think that's fair to do, but it is a reminder for all of us just to, Remember that life is valuable and pray for those who are hurting. That's well put. That's well put. So we wanted to make sure to start there uh, because, again, we talked about this the other day. These types of tragedies can kind of come and then 24 hours later, unless you're directly affected by it, you can kind of forget about it. But we do want to encourage you to be out there praying uh, and to still be have these people in your thoughts. Now, Aubrey, I want to take a complete right turn here. Can I vent on you at the start of our show here a little bit? Okay, I'm ready for it. I'm going to take a deep breath. All right. All right. Vent. Uh, Vent away. So I heard that there are people who hang up their T-shirts. And uh, that wasn't it. (laughs) Uh, Those are fantastic people. I've heard of them too. (laughs) I was driving to church this morning. I live kind of North Downers Grove. Our church is in South Downers Grove, Darien, kind of Woodridge uh, area. And um, so I go through a bunch of stoplights. And on two separate occasions today at the stoplight, the people at the front of the line, we all had to honk at them because they were looking down at their phones. And I've got to be honest with you. This now happens more often than it does not, where I'm at a stoplight and the person at the front of the line is, I don't know, maybe they're on Facebook, maybe they're texting, maybe they're looking up, but inevitably you have to honk your horn. And I used to feel bad about it. <laughs> right. And now I don't. I was telling one of my kids the other day, nope, they just need their attention. And he's like, there we go. And there they go. Are you finding this? Because this is getting to be infuriating. It feels like we can't even spend the one minute at a stoplight off of our phones right now. So you're so you were pretty angry about it. I um I have to like admit to some mea culpa here because I am probably the one you're honking at. I I definitely pull out my phone at stop signs thinking, oh, I'm not driving now. This will be my moment to catch up on that email or that text message or change the podcast to whatever. But I increasingly feel very guilty about it. I I will be honest. Like I, I don't 
I'm trying. I'm not doing a great job at just not having my phone near me when I drive so that I'm not tempted to pull it out at stop signs and stop lights. But it does say something about the fact that we can't even stop long enough to like look up and drive, do the thing you're supposed to be doing exactly. in the moment. We're so distracted. And uh, there's a danger portion of this away from the stoplights. I was driving home from Indianapolis the other day, going like 80 on the highway on I-65. And I looked at the guy next to me doing 80 and his no. head was all the way down. Just Oh, no, no, no. That's terrible. That's so terrible. And again, he could have been putting in, you know, a uh, an address into his maps. He could have been texting. Who knows what he was doing? But the danger aside here, like if you're a texter or a fa- or whatever you do, the danger is the big deal. But man, just here's what I want to challenge people out there to do today. When you're at a stoplight, uh, look around. Enjoy God's creation. There you go. Observe what's going on around you. I'm there not you perfect at this. I shouldn't make it seem like I never do this. But the more frustrated I get by other people with this, the less the less I find myself willing to uh, you know, like you can, you can, you can not be on Twitter for that one minute, and you'll be okay. I don't know. I'm sounding I, I like the grumpy no, old no, man right now. You're right. And generally speaking, I do think there has to be a moratorium on phones, cell phones in use in cars. Period. Like it's too dangerous. It's too distracting. Even if you're stopped, it's not a good idea. Like. Just don't be on. And I'm saying this to myself, Aubrey, don't be on your phone. (laughs) Absolutely. So anyway, thanks for letting me vent to start. But the biggest thing we learned is that Aubrey hangs all of her clothes. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that is good to know. Well, coming up next, Dr. John Feuder. He's the founder and director of Heart for the City. He's going to join us to talk about the Chicagoland United in Prayer events that are happening this weekend. We are excited to talk to Dr. Feuder next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, and Aubrey and I are really excited to be joined by the founder and the director of Heart for the City as we're going to talk about the Chicagoland United in Prayer events that are happening this weekend. His name is Dr. John Feuder. Doc, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm well, Brian. Thanks again for having me. Hey, Aubrey. Hey, so glad that you're here with us. It's absolutely our pleasure. Hey, uh, Doc, before we talk about these wonderful events and all that's happening in the city, could you introduce yourself? Let our audience know who you are so they can get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Well, the Doc, uh, kind of my real name's John, but the Doc label handle came from, I, I came to Chicago 27 years ago to teach at Moody Bible Institute hmm. and uh, oversaw all of the urban ministries kind of stuff. Did that with deep, deep delight. And um, uh, in the last decade, started a ministry, Heart for the City, in a sense, taking the things that we poured into Moody students to cities across the country, overseas as well. Meanwhile, back in Chicago, as it were, um, due in part to a lot of the violence that we just are crying out to God for shalom Mm -hmm. in our city, Uh, a, a, a number of us framed what was called initially Pray Chicago. This was nine years ago. And it's scaled to become Chicagoland United in Prayer because it has wonderfully spilled out into the suburbs. And it is now umbrellaed under a holistic umbrella called Together Chicago, which is a collective to mobilize the church to prayer and action in neighborhoods throughout our city and our suburbs. Mm. So that is where I'm coming from. It's my delight to be uh, Involved in this collective, run point on a lot of it, and excited about the way God is bringing 
his people together to seek the shalom of the city. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Doc, so I, I want to hear, of course, about the events this weekend, any details that you can give us around the United in Prayer events. But then I'm also curious, like what, tell us some stories. What do you see God doing to bring shalom to Chicago? Yeah, and, and that's really important, Aubrey, because um, sadly, our city gets the rap of a, of a, of a place of violence. And, mm-hmm. and tragically, it, it has been. In fact, it, it, there were 77 shootings this past weekend. So oh. there is somewhat of a sobering reality to that. But nonetheless, I'll just give you a very fresh example. Prior to this, uh, I was just on a Zoom call with uh, 20 local faith-based leaders that are a part of an effort this weekend, building blocks of peace to mobilize prayer and action in the hotspots of our community. And we had guys that had been born and raised in Cabrini, the projects Mm -hmm. in our city near north, just down the street from Woody Bible Institute, guys on the call from East Garfield Park, which is a neighborhood that has experienced uh, a lot of violence. And we're going to be out this weekend prayer walking all the way along Madison Avenue, which sadly has never fully recovered from the riots that hit there in the late 60s. Unbelievable. Mm. Meanwhile, there was another crew of guys up in Rogers Park that are doing the coolest thing called Night Church in a hot spot north of Howard, just south of Evanston. And then all the way down to Roseland, Mark Hinkle, who's a part of Crew, their urban ministry guy, is also going to be doing stuff. So my point with that, Aubrey, is God is uniting faith Mm. leaders from across this city, pastors, parachurch leaders, men, women that have in common the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet this group that I'm talking about, African-American, Caucasian, Asian, Latino. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing of bringing his church together. Friendships are forming, relationships are deepening. Love oh, that. that's so good. That's actually where I wanted to go with you. So let, I want you to continue to unpack that because we talk a lot about the divisions, not just culturally, but within the church, right? Like we yeah. read all those stories, but there seems to be a beautiful unity. Can you talk about um, how that unity has come about? Like you said, across racial lines, across, you know, north side, south side, suburbs. Yeah. How is that unity being built and cultivated? Well, with with great intentionality and, uh, <laughs> and with with uh, something that, you know, has has been a journey of many, many years. Um, ministry moves at the speed of relationships. I think we all know that. And it is not as if there were not efforts of prayer and action taking place in the city of Chicago. And they have been for decades, long before yeah. I even came here to teach at Moody. But what we discovered is they, they were like um, ships passing in the night, so to speak, trains running on parallel tracks. So the big idea of Chicagoland United in Prayer is what if we could take those streams and flow them into a great river? And so personally, what that meant, Brian and Aubrey, for me, when we started Pray Chicago, I discovered there was another similar effort called Chicago Praise. It was incredible. Hmm. Uh, Pastor Meeks was leading a huge effort down at Salem. And uh, it was amazing and all primarily African-American. And we didn't know each other. I I knew Pastor Meeks, didn't know a lot of those that were a part of that effort. And so we spent a good part of a year trying to figure out ways that we could come together. There was a whole nother Latino group led by a dear, dear brother named Carlos Chica, Apostle Carlos mm-hmm. Chica. Again, we didn't know each other. Uh, so much of it was in Espanol. I only <laughs> uh, love Espanol. I speak a little. So I started showing up in those gatherings. And in time, consistently, uh, building bridges, 
learning, listening, asking, what must we do together that we can't do on our own? We can pray Mm -hmm. together. We can plan together. The beauty of it now, guys, is these networks, these threads, these relationships that are formed under this banner of Chicagoland United in prayer. Um, Oh, my goodness. Black, brown, yellow, white, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. I mean, the whole gamut is represented. And we, we check in with each other. We pray together. We plan together. And we formed these rhythms or holy habits of winter prayer, spring training, summer Mm. engagement, fall relationships. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. So here we are in year nine. And uh, the best is yet ahead. But I love Mm. it. These friendships are real, genuine and authentic. Oh, so fantastic. How how encouraging and inspiring to hear. Doc, um, we're going to ask you in a little bit how people can find out more and how they can get involved with you. But I'm just thinking of our listeners who right now, we've got some prayer warriors who listen. Yeah. What are some prayer points you would mm-hmm. give them specifically for Chicago right now? Well, I would say, please, if you could, even this weekend, uh, those that are listening, pray for peace, pray for mm-hmm. shalom. Uh, the concern why we're why we're mobilizing in about 18 different hotspot locations this weekend is an ask that literally came from the mayor, from city leaders. Wow. Uh, over the years, we built some pretty deep relationships in City Hall. And so we did a whole thing on Memorial Day weekend called Hands Across Chicago, over 70 locations, city and suburbs. While walking with the mayor down Madison Street, she looked over and said, Doc, what about Fourth of July weekend? We're concerned about Friday night the 2nd and particularly Saturday night the 3rd. And so I would ask our listeners to pray for peace, pray down shootings, pray that homicides would not be a big deal. That certainly is ongoing beyond this weekend. Tragically often, 4th of July weekend has been uh, a time of violence in our city. But also let's do this, pray for divine appointments because we're gonna be out on some hotspot corners Uh, In all kinds of creative ways, there's going to be night church, there's going to be food, there's going to be water giving out, there's going to be prayer walking conversations. But pray that God would bring people out to those corners that have a need uh, to understand who Jesus Christ is. So could we dare to believe that some folk could come to know Christ as a result Mm. of this weekend? So pray for peace, pray, Mm. if you will, for for souls, but also pray too um, for the staying power to stay on the wall, because this effort of what we're scaling this weekend Building Blocks of Peace, it's called Hands Across Chicago Memorial Day Weekend. Honestly, y'all, it kind of takes a piece out of guys, men and women that are they're, they're on the wall, in the trenches, mm. and they're kind of weary. Uh, and we're going to push this thing all summer long. I'll give you the website in a minute. You're going to be encouraged by the amount of stuff. Almost every night of the week, people are out doing things. But there's a tiredness, so to speak, uh, of, of a weariness and well-doing. So pray for strength, for stamina, pray for peace. Pray mm. for souls, if you would. And one last thing, for yeah. for deeper level of, of unity and oneness to be the answer to Jesus's prayer in John 17, because our oneness is in direct proportion to the world knowing, to the city knowing who Jesus is. That's a good word. Dr. John Feuder is the founder and director of Heart for the City. Doc, I'd love to ask you just personally, uh, you know, you taught about at Moody, you have a real heart for the city. Has that always been part of your life? How did you grow this love and this concern for the city in general and for the city of Chicago in specific? 
Well, a couple of things to that. Yeah, I would. I can truly say God broke my heart for Chicago. I wasn't raised in an environment. I was raised in a, a small town in Michigan, Holland, Michigan. A mm. shout out to all the Dutchies out there. <laughs> and uh, I ended up going to a Bible college very similar to Moody in Canada called Prairie, way out, not even remotely urban. My wife, whose name is now, we've been married 40 years, would want you to know that that was why God sent me to Canada was to meet her. But, <laughs> but, but meanwhile, a lot of my classmates were part of a ministry called City Team. It was in Cali, in Northern California, in the Bay Area. And uh, I heard stories from them uh, of drama and needs in the city um, uh, that I had not experienced on my radar. And God began to tug on my heart, gangs, drugs, violence, a lot of these kind of things. And so I was invited to be part of that ministry uh, and rolled up our sleeves. And uh, my wife and I, at that point, were not married yet. We were boyfriend, girlfriend, trying to figure out God's leading in our life. And uh, we married and we moved into the hood. I'm not kidding you, man. In neighborhoods where we were the only white couple, this was in the San Francisco Bay Area. And man, we're wow. so over our head. But we were part of a team of people. And we began to cry out to God. I asked God to give me tears. In this case, it was San Francisco. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, Luke chapter 1941. And I said, God, I need you to break my heart, man, because uh, I don't I don't understand naturally what it is to engage nations in these cities. Uh, I was just raised in a small town and God did that. He began to really tug on my heart. And I began to realize that there was so much need in these cities. We were doing stuff in San Jose, San Francisco and Oakland began to grow and scale city team. And uh, it, 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 over those years, I was with them for 15 years. My little brother came to study at Moody and we would come to recruit. It was like, hey, God loves you and we have a wonderful plan for your life. Come to Calvary <laughs> and Wheaton and Trinity. And uh, I did not know at that time that Moody had started what is now the Moody Theological Seminary. It was then the Moody Grad School. Uh, and I was invited to teach urban ministries there. And amazing. So I in L.A. at Biola Talbot, did my uh, research on my dissertation in Skid Row. And God really tugged on my heart for the city of L.A. Same song. I began to see God really breaking my heart for that city. And then coming to Chicago was the same thing. I felt, how can I ever invite Moody students into the laboratory of the city of the nations without God really doing business on my own heart as well? So to encourage mm -hmm. our listeners, it's a journey. Uh, it's an ask, I think, if you will. Uh, it's a willingness to commit and kind of uh, roll up your sleeves and and. Uh, and stay a while, so to speak, and you begin mm. to realize that cities are just collections of people. There's just a lot more. And I think the bigger equation is when God really gives you a heart and a love for people mm -hmm. those that don't yet know him. It's a very natural thing to focus our work on cities just because of the of, of the sheer numbers that are there. So yeah. and that is the genesis of starting Heart for the City as well, because I saw God do that in my heart and life. And the idea is to invite others into that same journey. Oh, love that. Doc, for um, our listeners who may not be familiar with the the biblical understanding of shalom, you've talked yeah. about how you're really passionate and yeah. um, how uh, Pray Chicago, the Pray Chicago movement, Chicago United in Prayer is passionate about shalom for the city. Can you define biblical shalom for us? I can. So think of it, the etymology of the word in Hebrew, nothing broken, nothing missing. The word means wholeness wellness, completeness, fullest, that the, the true descriptor of shalom is peace with justice or literally just hyphenated peace. And where you see that, you see it in many, many places throughout scripture, but a verse that would be familiar 
I think to many, Jeremiah 29, verse seven is to seek the shalom of the city, Mm -hmm. pray to the Lord on its behalf as the city experiences shalom. So will you. And notice the order there that for those of us that long for that in our own life, so to speak, the mandate of scripture is to pursue that collectively, pursue that in a neighborhood, pursue that in a community, pursue that in a city. And so that is the driving force in many ways behind that that scripture anchored, if you will, this journey of praise Chicago. Another thing to encourage our listeners, uh, when we started this thing nine years ago, I put a little booklet together called the Chicago Neighborhood Prayer Guide. It's available. Moody Press published it. Uh, it prays through all 77 neighborhoods of Chicago. And for those that are are, are hearing this, and may not be in the city, maybe in the suburbs, I couldn't uh, suggest a greater way to join in this effort by seeking to cover our city in prayer. And the, the verses of scripture that we used to put that booklet together are Psalm 122, verses six through eight. Pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May shalom be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and sisters, I will now say Pursue shalom, may shalom be within you. So there that word is used three times. That was the grid and the framework. That's where we're coming from. It's God's great kingdom canopy, if you will, of what he wants our lives to look like on earth as it is in heaven. That's great. And Doc, as we start to close up, we're so thankful for all the time you've given to us. Uh, You know, for those of us who maybe don't live in the city, uh, we told you Aubrey and I both live out in the suburbs. When you turn on the news, a picture is painted of Chicago is really hopeless, right? Yeah. Like just really hopeless. So I guess I would want you to speak to that. What gives you hope? What is your hope uh, for the city of Chicago? Well, I'll give you a very practical way for our listeners. So go to the website, Chicago Land United in Prayer, which is shyunitepray.com. C-H-I, unitepray.com. No spaces, small letters. Click on upcoming events and you will see dozens and dozens of ways that churches, parachurch ministries, men and women are seeking the shalom of the city, often off the radar, often unknown, often unaware by the media, but nonetheless are in these hotspot communities consistently staying on the wall. What What is the narrative is that God is on the move. God is at work in the city of Chicago. And uh, often it doesn't hit the news, so to speak. Often the the, the, the violent stuff does. But that gives me great hope is that mm. the church is mobilizing to meet the needs of Chicago. And mm. that is truly one of the great things that God is doing. Even on this weekend, we're going to be out in 18 different locations, Friday night from three till midnight, Saturday night, the same all over the city, making peace happen. Oh, fantastic. And um, Doc, for people who want to find and follow you, can you tell us where to get connected with all you're doing? Yeah, I, again, I gave the website. I would say that the best way to, to do it is shyunitepray.com because that is a collective of all these different ongoing efforts. I mentioned these rhythms, winter prayer, spring training, summer engagement, fall relationships. And so that would be probably the the, the, the best way to do that. Um, the, the old, the stuff I do hard for the city, H4, the number four TC.org would be another way that people could track H4TC.org. But, uh, I would say the best way is to follow Chicagoland United in prayer. And, um, 
cry out with us, stay with us, and come join one of these efforts if you'd yeah. like to. The details are on the website. Again, go to Shy Unite Pray, that's C-H-I-UnitePray.com uh, to get all the information of the Chicagoland United in Prayer movement and how you can get involved, whether it be this weekend or at other times. Doc John Feuder is the founder and director of Heart for the City. Doc, it is so great and inspirational to meet you. We hope ever and pray everything goes great this weekend and through the summer. Thanks for spending the time. My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Aubrey. Blessings Thanks so much on you. for being with us. You too. Yep. Blessings yep. on you as well. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Hope you're doing well. Uh, whenever Dallas says anything or does anything, The Chosen has such a following that it just kind of blows up. And yeah. so... Uh, our producer passed this on to you and I, this video where he says it's just titled I'm firing back about one criticism. And as is the case when Dallas does stuff at the at the moment that I'm reading it right now, and I'm sure uh, it's only going to grow. It's well over 300,000 views. on YouTube. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Uh, but Dallas is is talking about a criticism he often hears from season one. And I think it really opens up to an interesting conversation about something that people don't always agree with within the church. Let's listen to what Dallas had to say here. So Mary is triggered by an encounter with a demoniac. Uh, and what are the things that Mary struggled with, at least in the context of our show? She was assaulted. She was sexually assaulted by a Roman. Uh, her father died at a young age. She's experienced major trauma. So we have her early in the episode. She sees a Roman soldier and is triggered there. Then a demoniac comes, and she is very strong. And she is now a follower of Jesus, so she she doesn't get as scared as the others. And she overcomes her fear in many ways with the demoniac. And then Jesus comes and casts the demon out immediately. And it's a very disturbing, scary scene. Violent, and Mary's triggered. You know, when someone wants to be alone, when someone wants to go back to their past or struggle with a vice that they've struggled with before, uh, they're going to do it. And so some people have said, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus enough? Jesus redeemed her. Why would she do this? You're making Jesus' role in her life irrelevant if she's still going to struggle. And that I find offensive. That perspective, actually, I, I get angry at very few things. I find the, the notion that Mary Magdalene was incapable or wouldn't have sinned or wouldn't have struggled or wouldn't have backslid because Jesus had already redeemed her is an affront and an insult and offensive to the gospel, to what the Bible says, and to millions and millions and millions of people who have struggled after they've been saved. And that includes Simon Peter, that includes Paul, some of the heroes of our faith, Moses, some, some of the heroes of our faith, who we consider to be icons, um, biblically and spiritually, talked about and were written about how they sinned repeatedly after their encounters with Jesus. All right, Aubrey, that criticism really centers around Mary Magdalene, who, mm -hmm. who you said in season one of The Chosen was just the thing that made you cry. Oh, I mean, that that got, I'm, I'm like, oh, I want to watch the show now. That first show with her, episode with her was just powerful. And I think one reason it's made people cry and like that that's been the spot that they've resonated with is because of her struggle, yeah. is because of her hurt. And Dallas is kind of getting at here that one of the criticisms that he has heard often is shouldn't Mary, and I'm putting words in his mouth here, or these people's mouths, shouldn't Mary Magdalene, once she met Jesus, 
have stopped struggling with her past, with her loss of her dad, or as Dallas talked about, sexual abuse mm-hmm, or whatever else mm-hmm. it would be. That, that when you read the Gospels, doesn't Mary's life immediately transform upon meeting Jesus, but instead he's getting pushback because in the show, she still struggles. Yeah. She goes back and forth. She's there triggered are moments, by moments. There yeah. are moments yeah. she goes back and forth. And I think this is important for a show like The Chosen, but it's even more important for real life where mm-hmm. we go, what, what does transformation look mm. like? What does sanctification look like? What mm. does healing from real abuse, uh, what, what does healing look like? What does mm-hmm. uh, the removal of shame and regret look yeah. like from pastor? All of that. Yeah. Because you read the Gospels, and sometimes it can be very linear where you're like, mm-hmm. they struggled, they met Jesus, mm-hmm. they were fine. Mm-hmm. and they, But that's not how our lives end up going. Right. And so I, I appreciate Dallas being like, no, we got to get this right. We got to push back against it. Because talk to us about why the flip side is so dangerous of like, well, Mary just changed when she met Jesus. So that was just it. It was done. You know, I think the reality is we all know this. God heals in process and God heals in poof. Like both things happen. There are moments when someone's praying because their back hurts Mm -hmm. and they ask the community to come pray around them and their back no longer hurts. God does that. But most of the time, our healing journeys are just that. They're journeys Mm. where the Lord is at work building Christ-likeness and healing in us over time. And especially, I mean, I can speak to victims of sexual assault. I was sexually assaulted twice as a teenager. I talk about this in my first book, Overcomer, so that's public information. But it takes time. It is so deeply rude. When someone inflicts their sin and their shame on you, Mm. that takes a lot of rooting out and the Holy Spirit has a lot to do, a lot of work to do, but it doesn't mean you're not a new creation at Christ, right? right? Like, I think that's ultimately the the conversation is, you know, we're talking about Mary on the show, but we know Mary Magdalene is a real person mm-hmm. in real biblical history. She came into contact with Jesus. He saved her. She is a new creation, period. But we all know we are waiting. We are in the already waiting for the not yet, right? And so the journey of sanctification, like I said, is just that a journey. None of us are perfect the minute we come to Christ. None of us don't have depression right. or anxiety, but we have someone, a savior that we can give those things to. And I think that once we um, imply even that, hey, you came to Christ, you shouldn't be depressed anymore. Right. You shouldn't have regret. You right. shouldn't struggle, you shouldn't struggle. With past uh, abuse or things that somebody else has done to you. You shouldn't the reason that that's so dangerous is now you've just heaped shame upon that abuse survivor or that who, who <laughs> right. is like, wait, so now I'm struggling with the abuse and now I'm struggling with the fact that I'm struggling, that I'm with, struggling with the abuse. And, and it just becomes this circular thing where you just kind of go down or, you know, I think our I think churches are doing better at this now. Definitely. But the the narrative before that, that real Christians don't get depressed, you've right. got the joy of the Lord right. and this and that. And then. What's the result of that? People who are legitimately depressed end up feeling more depressed because mm-hmm. they shouldn't. They're a bad Christian. Right. Now. And and I don't see that in Scripture. Here's another example. If you want to be like, well, I've never faced abuse or this. Or that, mm-hmm. So what's it look like? Let's just take the Apostle Peter. Great right? example. Yeah. The Apostle Peter is uh, he is the greatest uh apologist for Jesus mm-hmm. at times. He's the one who stands by him. He's mm-hmm. the one who fights for him. Yeah. He's right by his side. He's also then the one who uh, betrays him. Yep. He's the one who cuts off a guy's ear. Yep. He's the one to whom Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Yep. Like there's this, there's this up and downness to Peter that I think a lot of us resonate to because we go, okay, if Jesus's best friend can be like that, what <laughs> right, about me? Right. And, 
Peter did not meet Jesus and all of a sudden become this kind of calm, measured. Perfect, angelic. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Like we're still whole people and we can't put our, I mean, it, it almost ends up putting our salvation in our own good works, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm perfect, if I don't struggle, then I'm really saved. And as we all know, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that in spite of our sin, in spite of our struggles, in spite of our, yes. and in the middle of them, not even in spite of them, in the middle of them. That we have a Savior who has taken all of that on, on himself. That's right. And he carries it so we don't have to. And so I think if you're out there and struggling, know that that's okay. Yeah, there you uh, go. Allow that to draw you to prayer, to community. Uh, like, again, the whole Peter thing. We preach that really well. Like, aren't you all glad that Peter is this example? <laughs> he's the rock of the church. Yeah. But he's this. But we don't treat each other or ourselves mm, that way yeah. with that same kind of grace and long-term view. Like, Jesus would looked at Peter and was like, yeah, I see this, you know, coming. That's good. That's but good. But we don't seem to do that for each other. So I found that I'm thankful for the stuff that Dallas shared there. Yeah, that's great. Love for you to give it a listen. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Common Good Talk. You're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, Aubrey and I are going to talk about one of our favorite topics, the royal family, and then a 4th of July quiz with a special guest. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. We are so glad to have you with us today. One of our favorite topics is the royal family. And uh, there was big news out of the royal family today, and that being of Prince William and Prince Harry, as they were together again in England, unveiling the statue of their mother, Princess Diana, who would have been 60 years old today. Uh, But instead, as we all know, she was tragically killed in a car accident at the age of 36. Can you believe that she was killed at the age of 36? that, That is so shocking to me. I'm not sure why. I I had no idea she was that young when she was killed. I thought it was I don't I don't know. I I guess I guess because we were young perhaps that yes. 36 felt old. So in my mind I'm thinking older, but when you hear 36 you're like her whole life was taken from her. That's right. That's right. Awful. And her kids were like the age of I think 12 and 15 oh, at the time. And so it has obviously had just a huge impact on the lives of of Prince Harry and Prince William. And now uh, you and I, as we say, we're we're quite the observers of the royal family. I'm guessing that you were the type who got up early for the weddings and stuff like that. Am I right about oh, that? Oh, I mean, I got up early for the weddings and I like had costumes. Like I had hats, multiple hat changes. I had tea. I had scones. I had, and even, I mean, even as a little girl, I had Princess Diana paper dolls. So like this is a long-term love for me. That's awesome. And, and there's something about watching it go on. I think people are so fascinated by William and Harry right now because while they're royals, while they're, you know, well known, they're still two brothers having relational problems right now. And, uh, I think we are all rooting for it to get figured out. You know, ever since Harry got married to Meghan Markle, things have seemed to have gotten complicated. Harry's kind of rejecting, you know, a lot of what he's had to put up with over the years. You got, well, and, and I don't know, doesn't it kind of break your heart? But also it kind of makes them very personable going, 
man, all of us have family issues on some level, including <laughs> I the royal know. family. I think that's part of it. It breaks your heart because you want the royal family after everything they've been through, especially on their mom's birthday. Like you want to see them reconcile just so it's a good, beautiful story. But I think you're right. Like it, it speaks to all of us in any conflict we have with our own siblings or in-laws or that one family member you haven't spoken to in years. And I, I don't know. I, I hope we see some reconciliation in the years to come. I hope so. I kind of hope that the picture comes out even from this weekend of them, you know, like you said, having a cigar and, and a yeah, pint out back. A pint. And, that's and, a pint of Guinness. Yep. <laughs> and doing their thing. But hopefully, hopefully, but it does remind us of just a complexity of family issues, especially when you lose your mom at the age of 15 oh, and 12. Uh, so just crazy, tragic. crazy. Yeah. But in this article I was reading out of NBC News, uh, I wanted to highlight one quote because I found it fascinating. Aubrey, okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, this quote was from Melanie Kennedy. Uh, she is a lecturer of sociology who studies specifically celebrity. Uh, and so she's trying to explain that how after nearly 24 years since the death of Princess Diana, that she's still become kind of a mythical figure. There, hmm. There's a mythology uh, to Princess Diana, much the same way there was over here, you know, when JFK died. Sure, sure. However, all these other people. Listen to this quote for a second, because I think this plays into the church. Okay. This plays into a lot of stuff. She wrote, we look to media figures to worship in a way that in the past we would have gone to the church to church. When Diana died, it solidified her status as this religious figure, this saint, and this has stuck. Aubrey, that, I find that fascinating. She says the media figures that we worship in a way that in the past we used to go to church for. Mm. I, that is really, really telling. Yeah, I think what stands out to me about that is that we want to worship. Like there's something in human nature that causes us to worship. And of course, to me, that speaks of the fact that we were created by a God who longs to be worshiped. Like God knows we would find our salvation, our hope, our everything that we need in worshiping him or else humans wouldn't even think about worshiping. You know, so that's what's fascinating to me is just this innate sort of desire that we all have to worship something. But then, of course, in our sin, we end up worshiping created beings instead mm -hmm. of the creator. And it, it makes sense that Diana, because she, you know, was seemed to be part of really good causes, went through some really horrific abuse, eating disorders, things like that. Um, seemingly betrayed by her husband and then, of course, uh, killed in this car accident by, with a, by the paparazzi that we, you know, it, it makes sense to me that she would sort of be risen to sainthood, like you said, JFK and others. But I do think, I mean, this is an interesting line because it is okay to have heroes. It's okay to be inspired mm. by the way people live their lives. But ultimately, we can't lift them up on these pedestals to the point where they're they're the gods we're worshiping. And we right. definitely do this with celebrities, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And the hard part is we see this over and over again is when we put our hope in celebrities, whether it be, you know, societal celebrity celebrities or a celebrity yeah. pastor, right? Mm -hmm. how, how often have we talked this week about the podcast CT put out right. uh, so far about the rise and fall of Mars Hill about this celebrity pastor idea? When we put our hope in people, in men and women, whether it be a princess or a president or an actor, an actress or a pastor, 
uh, no human being is perfect and is ever meant to carry that sort of admiration and worship and deification. And they always, you're going to get let down, right? Princess Diana did unbelievable work uh, during her time. I remember all the stuff about landmines and all this stuff. But guess what? She was a really flawed person. Right. JFK, a really flawed person. Right. Martin Luther King, a flawed person. Right. Any president we've ever looked up to, a flawed person. Right. And when we put, when it, when it goes beyond admiration and it goes to kind of deification and worship and this and that, it becomes a really... Um, a difficult thing, not a difficult thing. It just becomes misplaced idol worship there and it's go. going yeah. to fail us. I just find that quote to be fascinating uh, that we look to media figures to yeah. worship, not to admire, not to even learn from, but to worship in a way that in the past uh, we would have gone to church. What's one way, Aubrey, that we get out of this cycle? Anything come to mind? Oh, that's a really great question. I mean, I think we always have to be sort of renouncing the things that we, anytime we're worshiping the created instead of the creator, we sort of have to just be mindful of it, renounce it and ask the Lord to help us. And then I think another, just very practically speaking, like go back to church, worship Jesus in community with mm. other Christians That's right. and turn off your phone for a while, you know, stop right. being so obsessed with celebrity culture, or the celebrity past or whatever, be involved, be engaged in your local community who is pointed towards Jesus, worshiping him, not these other things. Well put, well put. Well, before we go here in the, uh, before we head off to the break, I want to mention, uh, Lift 2021. This is something that AM 1160 does. Uh, we're excited that today is the kickoff of AM 1160's Lift 2021 brought to you by Hopeful Beginnings, Moody Theological Seminary, and MyPillow. Each Thursday in July, we're releasing video encouragements from a number of contributors around the theme of mental health for pastors and for ministry leaders. Today, uh, we're releasing the video of Dr. Jamie Ayton. Uh, his video today, you can find it at 1160hope.com slash lift. That's 1160hope.com slash lift. Be sure to check that out. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by Dan Britton. Dan is the Chief Field Officer at Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, he's also the co-author, along with Ron Forseth, of The Wisdom Challenge, Experience the Life-Changing Power of Proverbs. Dan, how are you doing today, man? Man, I am doing great. Thank you for having me, Brian and Aubrey. It's absolutely our pleasure. We're so glad to have you. Yeah. Hey, Dan, before we dive into this book, and as Aubrey and I, Aubrey and I are both pastors, so talking about something like the Proverbs and helping people understand that is just is super exciting for us. But before we do that, uh, would you take a minute and just introduce yourself our, uh, to our audience so they could get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, sure. I, uh, you know, I've uh, worked with Fellowship Christian Athletes for 31 years. Uh, That's awesome. I, isn't that a crazy? Three decades. and Yeah. Uh, people said when I started working with FCA, they're like, hey, what are you going to do when you really grow up? And so <laughs> I guess I haven't grown up. It's been 30 <laughs> years, right? Um, so they're like, you're still doing that FCA thing? I'm like, yep, I'm still doing the FCA thing. But, you know, I started out as a local area rep in, in Northern Virginia, graduated from the University of Delaware in 89, played lacrosse my entire life. My dad was an All-American lacrosse player at the Naval Academy. He actually played against Jim Brown, the, the no famous way. NFL player. Yeah. 
They say Jim was actually a better lacrosse player than he was a football player. Mm. Back then they didn't have pro lacrosse, but you, Jim Brown was at Syracuse. My dad was at the Naval Academy, and, and he, when my dad was a sophomore, I had a chance to actually compete against Jim Brown. And my dad said he hit him as hard as he could, and uh, my dad said uh, he felt like he hit a, hit a, a train, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow, wow. So, anyways, and I have two older brothers. We all grew up playing lacrosse, football, basketball, lacrosse. I went on, played college, played professional lacrosse. Again, grew up in, in on the East Coast, served with FCA for 13 years in Northern Virginia, and then uh, over 20 years ago, moved to Kansas City, uh, to, to here to Kansas City to work out of our support center, our, our world headquarters, and now oversee our entire field, both internationally and locally. And so now God's allowed us here um, with FCA, which primarily was a U.S.-based ministry for over 50 years in the last 10 years, God's allowed us to extend outside the U.S. borders, moving outside 4% of the world's population awesome. to 96%. And now we're in 107 countries. Can you believe that? Wow. That's amazing. Praise God for that. That is awesome. Yeah. So anyways, that's a, that's a little bit about me with FCA. I, I married my high school sweetheart. Dawn and I dated all the way through high school and college, dated nine years. That could be another podcast for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and then we've been married for 30 years. So we've been together for for almost 40 years uh, as a couple. That is so awesome. Well, Dan, you are the co-author of a book called The Wisdom Challenge, Experience the Life-Changing Power of Proverbs. And we would love to just hear a little bit about that book and why you wrote it. Well, it it really uh, was a broken play. It wasn't supposed to happen. Um, It's kind of a God thing. You know, God loves broken plays, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, that we don't expect or didn't plan. And he kind of has a bigger plan for us. Mm-hmm. Ron and I have been friends for, for over 20 years, and, and he was with the organization. I was with FCA, and we were trying to partner. And so we thought, man, our this would be a phenomenal partnership between his organization at the time that he served as one of the vice presidents. I was with FCA as a vice president, and we got together probably 10 times at his headquarters, our headquarters, tried to work on things. Nothing materialized except for friendship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, That's cool. You know, it wasn't meant to be for for us organizationally to partner together, but God brought us together uh, and created a great friendship. And in 2012, I remember the the day he called me up and he's like, hey, Dan, um, last month God led me to read through Proverbs and and it just really allowed me to get a hunger for God's word again. And uh, I'd love to do do that with you this month coming up. And I said, oh, well, I've I've done a proverb a day, keep Satan away. <laughs> it's it's 31 proverbs you you pick the day you, it keeps you on track it's awesome I've, I've done that for years and ron goes no 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 i, I don't i don't want us to read proverbs separately he goes i want to i want to do it together and i'm like so like we read it together on the phone he goes no 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 you read it i read it and then each day we text or, or email or phone call each other and let let each other know what god revealed to us mm-hmm. what verse what insight what nugget what truth did, did God reveal to us? We share with each other. And it's kind of like iron sharpens iron, as it says in Proverbs, yeah. that we'll get better. And I get Ron. Well, you know, I've never, I've always done Proverbs. I've never done it with someone like that. And he goes, wow. well, let, let's, let's do it. And I said, okay. And he goes, I call it the wisdom challenge. I go, well, that sounds cool. So I am telling you, like the first day I get his text and it was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing insight. God revealed this to me. Now we're like texting back and forth on how God revealed truth to us. And 
the next morning, I couldn't wait to see what God was going to reveal to Ron. Was mm. it the same verse? Was it going to be a different verse? How was God going to speak to Ron? How was God going to speak to me? And I'm telling you guys, like, like after about 10 days, it was like this transformational thing that I've never experienced before going through Proverbs is the power of with. Uh, mm. Going with someone. Mm, yeah, as awesome. Proverbs says, he walks with the wise, becomes wise. But he, companion of fools, stumbles. And, and I just thought, Man, I'm getting wiser because I'm doing Proverbs with someone. And it was a game changer, absolute game changer. That's awesome. Hey, a little bit of background to Proverbs. People listening may not know, written by Solomon. Uh, How would you sum up the life of Solomon, uh, specifically as it's reflected in his prayer for wisdom above anything else? Help people understand that background a little bit. Yeah, well, I like how you said that the the prayer of uh, wisdom above everything else. Twice in Proverbs, we, Ron and I like to call it the, the, the wisdom promise, or we, we even say the nothing promise. And the nothing promise is kind of a little bit more sticky and cooler. The nothing promise is, is twice in Proverbs, he says, Proverbs, Solomon writes, nothing is more valuable than wisdom. And now that's a blanket mm-hmm. sweep, isn't it? That, that mm-hmm. is a bold statement. He says all the riches, all the jewels, all the money in the world, there's nothing more valuable than wisdom. And so... Here, here we have 31 chapters. Solomon wrote most of, of Proverbs. And, and it is literally not about Solomon as a success, even though he's one of the greatest kings in, in biblical times. But he had a lot of failures and a lot of ups and downs. And through Proverbs, God reveals through Solomon these truths that we're allowed to be able to put into practice on a daily basis. Um, I love what... what um, uh, Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite favorite authors and, and, and pastors, Chuck Swindoll says, wisdom is simply seeing things the way God sees things. Mm-hmm. And, and what a great little short definition. And, and so I look at Proverbs through that window is that I get a chance uh, to 31 short chapters to see things through wisdom, God's eyes, the way we should see and do life. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. So, Dan, I would just love to hear. So, so you and Ron are doing this together. You're studying the Proverbs. God is moving in powerful ways. How did that play out in your ministry? I'm assuming there's some moment where, you know, you're ministering to an athlete or you're, I don't know, you're overcoming a challenge and those Proverbs that were in your mind just, you know, became really accessible. So is there a moment where the connection between your study and real life took place? Yeah, Aubrey, great point. I, I I would say this, that as we started going through the rest of the month, it was like a double blessing. I felt like I was getting what God was revealing to me, what God was revealing to Ron. It was like twice the blessing of revelation. And so I believe, Aubrey, like like I became a better dad. I became a mm-hmm. better husband. I became a better leader because I was getting twice blessing. I was getting the double blessing of seeing Proverbs through not only my eyes, but a good friend of mine who was revealing God's truth to me. And he was challenging me on stuff. I was I was sharing things, like I was confessing things. Man, I'm bad at this. So I wasn't saying, oh, all these Proverbs are just things that I do well. But I suddenly got to the point that I was becoming a better leader and a better father because of it. That's awesome. That's great. Dan Britton, again, is the Chief Field Officer at Fellowship of Christian Athletes, co-author, along with Ron Forseth, of the book The Wisdom Challenge, Experience the Life-Changing Power of Proverbs. Dan, before we jump back into the book, I'd love to go back to just what you do. Uh, help people just briefly understand what is Fellowship of Christian Athletes and what do you do with them? Yeah, thank, thanks for asking that. I, 
obviously I'm passionate about it, given 30 years of my life to it. I was actually involved in college. I, I got introduced at University of Delaware when when as an athlete, um, you know, here I'm going away. Didn't, I only knew two people in the entire campus of 13,000. Those were two uh, other students that I knew from my high school. And I found FCA on Thursday night meeting with an other athletes in Carpenter Sports Building at 730. And we opened God's word. We applied God's word to our athletic uh, performance and to our to our practice and to our mindset. And, and I tell you, God uh, allowed me to connect with fellow believers, like-minded believers. And I tell you, FCA basically, I always say, combines my two passions, faith and sports. You put it together, you got FCA. Mm -hmm. So in 1954, Brian, Aubrey, God led Don McClannan, who was a basketball coach in Oklahoma, to have this idea of gathering coaches and athletes under this banner of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And ever since 1954, God has used it now around the world to reach over 2 million coaches and athletes every single year. We're on schools. We're, we're on over 15,000 junior high, high school, college campuses, small group Bible studies, the power of the circle, people huddling up together, opening God's word, still on public school campuses, still having access. Uh, I think FCA is one of the greatest ministries out there. And so, you know, we're, we're helping coaches and athletes live out their faith on and off the field. And that's a fellowship of Christian athletes. That's great. Oh, just love it. Love hearing that. So, Dan, um, we're here to talk about your book, The Wisdom Challenge, Experience the Life-Changing Power of Proverbs. But you are also the co-author of another book, which I am very excited about because I have three sons. And this is <laughs> called Called to Greatness, 31 Devotions to Ignite the Faith of Fathers and Sons. Can you tell us briefly about that book? Yeah, I, you know, Jimmy Page and I, not, not that Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I was like, wait, Jimmy Page? Yeah, I know, I know. People ask me that all the time. They're like, really? Jimmy Page? No, I'm like, not that Jimmy Page. So Jimmy Jimmy and I have been 30-year friends, and, and I got to know him right after I got out of college. FCA brought us together, and, and literally, we, we, we've, we've been accountability partners for 30 years. And, and God allowed us to, to write a very first book together. Actually, it's called Wisdom Walks, which is about a discipleship model of being a walker yourself, having some warriors in your life, a watchman and a workman. And basically it's the discipleship model that the Bible lays out for us. But several years after that, Jimmy and I decided that, that one of the greatest needs is fathers and sons to connect. And we started looking and, and literally, guys, there was no devotionals or resources out there for fathers and sons to come wow. together and grow in their faith. So that led us to, to sharing with our publisher uh, Broad Street going, hey, we, we want to have a devotional that we could be able to have where fathers and sons come together. They agree and commit together to go through these devotions together, written with the mindset of that relationship and helping them strengthen. And out of the seven books that I, I've written, it sold a lot of books, but probably not as many as some of the other ones. Mm -hmm. But the but the testimonies that we're hearing back from Call to Greatness, the emails that we hear, the calls that we get, I'm telling you, transformational some of the best wow. because I, I just think you know again that god the father when we have this moment of, of of baptizing the son he literally says uh that jesus is his beloved yeah and, and i'm well pleased with him and we simply say can you imagine if every son heard those words that i am pleased with you those five words would change instantly the father-son relationship. And so that's kind of the context of the book. 
That's great. That's great. Uh, speaking of wisdom, Dan, why why do you think that God put such great value on wisdom? And I, I'd follow that up also with then, how do we obtain wisdom? How, how can we grow in wisdom? Well, you know, uh, it starts, uh, you know, it's kind of funny over and over again in Proverbs. It talks about, you know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And, you know, some people take that phrase and they go down a rabbit trail and they go down different different ways. But it's having that awe and that reverence and that true understanding that that we serve a mighty and awesome God. And, and I think in today's world, we kind of dismiss that and we kind of pass over, oh, the fear of the Lord. Like, hey, let's just get wisdom. And it's like, no, no, let's back up. That's actually where it starts. And for us as followers of Christ to have a firm understanding that, that there is a fear of the Lord that governs and, and rules our life, that drives us to obedience and sacrifice before God. And, and when we have that understanding, Aubrey and Brian, we know that, that God reveals wisdom in our hearts. And so nothing replaces wisdom. And so we got to start with that. Mm, so good. Um, do you feel like in this day and age, wisdom is almost countercultural? And if so, why? I do. I do. I, I think people uh, rather seek information rather mm. than transformation, right? Mm, and, yeah. and information, we, we, we have more information at our fingertips than ever. We're overwhelmed with information. I have one of my life principles is, we drift to complexity, but we drive to simplicity, right? Mm. Because right now in the world of information, we suddenly overnight, the next day, the following week, the following month, the following year, we are overwhelmed with complexity because of all the information overload that comes in. But mm. instead, we have to drive to simplicity. And I believe that's what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is about transformation, okay? Not information, and we have to be able to get out of our comfort zone. And I believe wisdom is only applied when we get out of our comfort zone and we're stretched by God Almighty, by circumstances mm. around us. And when that wisdom, when, when we're stretched with the experiences, I believe God reveals that wisdom. But it has to start with getting our face in the book. Right, guys? It's good. Yeah. We have to get our face in the book. And I've just yeah. I've been blown away how many believers just don't, they assume like, okay, I don't need to get in God's word daily. And we have to get in God's word daily to get that wisdom. That's right. Yeah. And Dan, with like the minute or two we have left, you you rightfully linked wisdom to the fear of the Lord. We read that in scripture. Help people understand uh, what the fear of the Lord is and how that leads to wisdom. Well, I, 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 I you know, again, that's one of those concepts where the more you, it's almost like that diamond that you turn and has so many angles to it and so many dimensions to it. But for me, as I look, like I just, I, I grew up uh, in a Christian home and man, I, I fear my mom and dad. If I stepped mm. out of bounds, man, bam, it was the, the, the day of reckoning was coming, right? <laughs> and, and I just know that, that through that, there was a, a, a healthy fear of my parents. I didn't fear them like I trembled and, you know, I, I didn't want to see them, but I knew that 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 fear, that proper fear, kept me in line. Man, it, it allowed me to have guardrails. And mm. I think the same thing with, with with God Almighty. That nowadays we don't we don't look at God the same way I looked at my parents. That that hey, there's guardrails that He disciplines those He loves. Yeah. You know, and that's what that having fear is is that I want to live my life in those those boundaries 
so I can enjoy all of God's blessing and all of God's abundance. See, when you stay in those boundaries, you experience the fullness of God. Yeah. When I stay in the boundaries of my parents, I experience the fullness of my parents and the family. And that's what God has for us. That's, that's good. Great. Dan Britton, again, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Go get the book, The Wisdom Challenge. Experience the life-changing power of Proverbs. You can learn more about Dan and his book at wisdomchallenge.com. Again, that's wisdomchallenge.com. Dan, it's so good to meet you. We're going to have you on again sometime just to talk about lacrosse. Help uh, yes. Midwesterners <laughs> learn about lacrosse. Hey, hey let's go. <laughs> Full show on lacrosse. Yeah, hey, by the way, by the way, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. They, they call it the Crater's Game, and there's a reason for that, right? Why? Yeah, it's because the Indians created – it came from the Indians, the, 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 the Iroquois Indians here in, in the U.S., and they say literally lacrosse was a, a gift that, that God gave the Indians to play to entertain uh, the Crater. So it's oh, got, that's it's, funny. It's got great roots. I think we should do a show on it. There you go. And I think you'll bring the passion. So, yes, Dan Britton, again, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Go check out wisdomchallenge.com. That's wisdomchallenge.com. Dan, it is a great pleasure to meet you, man. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Awesome time. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on this Thursday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we have a special guest with us today. One yes. of my former co-hosts and really, let's be honest, my life co-host. Your life co-host. <laughs> Kevin Sampson, <laughs> welcome to The Common Good. Oh, it is so great to be here. Thanks for calling me special. <laughs> You're welcome. I feel like it's a regular thing now to have you on the show, Kevin. You're officially a friend of the show. And we have you on specifically because um, you're one of our main game show contestants. That's right. uh, I like on holidays to put you up against Brian Fromm, Brian versus Kevin to do some trivia, to do a game show. And um, you guys have done Father's Day. Yes, I lost that You've one. You've done Mother's Day. We tied, yes. We tied. And then Kevin oh, yeah. beat my mom in yes, a I summer did. quiz. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say right now the reigning champ is Kevin Sampson. Is that right? It is. I feel like, don't tell Brian, but I he, I feel like I need to give him a win today. No, He's, no, don't start that. Do not. <laughs> Brian, I'm going to win this like fair and square. Brian, <laughs> Brian doesn't want that, Kevin. This okay. is my Iron Man right here, right now. All right, here All right. So in honor of Independence Day, 4th of July, America's birthday, we are doing a 4th of July quiz show. Put your knowledge to the test on our 4th of July quiz. And remember, incorrect answers will not be tolerated. We are not going to sit here and listen to you bad mouth the United States of America. And now, here's your host, Aubrey Sampson. I'm going to read you a trivia question. Uh I'm going to give you four multiple choice answers, and then I will call on you one at a time, and you will um, answer. Give us our answer. Okay. And uh, today's 4th of July uh, is really special because when when was the Declaration of Independence signed? 1776? That is correct. Yes. All right. So each correct answer is worth 700, no, 1,776 <laughs> points. So this is a big one. Great job, man. Thanks. Yes, well, well done. Good I know up. I can say numbers. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Number one. 
Where was the first Independence Day celebrated? Is it A, Boston, Massachusetts? Is it B, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Is it C, New York City, New York? Or is it D, Williamsburg, Virginia? Kevin, what say you? D, Williamsburg, Virginia. Brian? I wasn't listening well. Is Philadelphia one of my choices? <laughs> yes. I'm going with Philadelphia. It is Philadelphia. Yes. Oh. Well done. Well done. Off and running. All right. I gave him that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two. How many times does the Liberty Bell ring each year on Independence Day? Is it A, 13? Is it B, 50? Is it C, 7 with a pause and then four to follow? Or is it D, 12? I'll go first. I'm, I, th- I have a reason for this one, but I think it's A, 13. Okay. Kevin, what do you think? I'm going to go C, 7, pause, plus 4. Okay. It is A, 13 for the oh, 13 colonies. Yes. I want to roll. I <laughs> thought it was for the colonies. Okay, two Brian. for two. Yep. I love America. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Number three. Independence Day, the movie, uh-uh. stars A, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. B, Will Smith and Ben Affleck. C, Ben Affleck and Nicolas Cage. Or D, Nicolas Cage and Bruce Willis. Kevin, you go first. Uh, I think it's D. Okay. Nicolas Cage and Bruce Willis. Brian? I think it's A, Will Smith and whoever else. I think it's Will Smith. (laughs) Brian, it is A, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. This is, I'm now feeling badly for you. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, Nicholas Cage was from National Treasure, a different Independence Day themed film. Bruce Willis was from, you know, that the space one at the end of they time. Blew up the rocket. Yeah. yeah blew whatever up the that one was. Yeah. I can't think yeah. of any of that. Okay. All right. Number four. Which president was born on July 4th? Oh. Is it A, Harry S. Truman? Is it B, Herbert Hoover? Is it C, Woodrow Wilson? Or is it D, Calvin Coolidge? Brian, you go first. That feels like a Woodrow Wilson. Okay. Kevin? It's Calvin Coolidge all day. Dude. It is Calvin Coolidge <laughs> all day. <laughs> wow. Uh, July. He was born on July 4th, 1923. How did you know that, Kevin? I give Brian enough answers. <laughs> I love, I You're, love coming the back. You're coming I love back. the confidence there. It's Calvin Coolidge all day long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Well done. I'm What's the score, that, by Kevin. the way? The score, the score is 1776 times three for Kevin, <laughs> for Brian. I mean, 1776 for Kevin. Okay. I want to know All my right. exact number. <laughs> you can pull out a calculator. Okay. <laughs> number five. This is an easy one, guys. All right. Number five. What is the most commonly consumed food on the 4th of July? Is it A, hot dogs? Is it B, watermelon? Is it C, apple pie? Or is it D, hamburgers? Kevin, you go first. This is, these are all just commonly consumed foods. That's right. On 4th of July, the most commonly consumed food is hot dogs. Okay, Brian? I was going to guess hot dogs, but to go differently, I'm going to go watermelon. Okay, the answer is A, hot dogs. Oh, and and it's 150 million hot dogs are consumed on the 4th of July. Good day, right there. I will eat probably 50 million. Yes, you're going to do a third of those. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's three to two. It's three to two. I'm glad someone's keeping score. Okay, 
Number six, the total fireworks sales for this 4th of July, okay, 4th of July, 2021, are expected to be A, 300 million, B, 450 million, C, 500 million, or D, 675 million. Brian, you go first. I think it is D. Okay, 675 million. Kevin? Uh, It's 500 million. Okay. It is, according to the American Pyrotechnics Association, which is a real thing, 675 million. Brian, you got it. That is a 13, $13 million increase over last year. Good job. COVID. COVID. Exactly. All right. Number seven. Let's see how well you know the Statue of Liberty. Oh, not good. The Statue of Liberty has an official name. Is it A, Lady Liberty? Is it B, Liberty Enlightening the World? Is it C, Liberty and Justice for All? Is it D, The Flames of Liberty Linger On? Kevin, what say you? Jeez. Um, A, Lady Liberty. Okay. Brian? Uh, Just to be different, I'm going to go with B. It is B, Liberty <laughs> the World. I didn't even remember what B was. Wow. I am, I am impressed. Very Thank impressed. You. Thank you. All right, Thank guys, you. we got two more. You ready? Here oh, that means I already won. It's five to two. Oh, oh, Boom. We, got oh we got it. Well, I have three. Let, I have a tiebreaker if we need to. So let's just do them anyway because they're fun. Okay, you okay. ready for the? We'll just do the last two because they're fun. All right. These will be worth... A million points, so whoever gets these wins. Okay. Nope. Which two presidents died on the 4th of July the same day and the same year? Is it A, Andrew Jackson and Martin Van Buren? B, Zachary Taylor and James K. Polk? C, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson? Or D, Miller Fillmore and Franklin Pierce? Can't even say that one. Millard Fillmore and Franklin Pierce. Uh, Brian. Uh, that is, there's no doubt that that's B. Okay. Zachary Taylor and James K. Polk. Kevin? Uh, Adams and Jefferson. Kevin, it is John Ah! Adams and Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) They both died in 1826 on the 4th of July. Here's a bonus piece of trivia for you. James Monroe died five years later on July 4th. It's a tough day. That's no longer happy. Yep. All right, let's do one more just to, this will be worth all of it. Whoever gets this wins the whole Winner thing. Takes all. all right, That's you ready? Winner works. takes all. I'm in charge, Brian. Winner That's takes all. Okay, all right. U.S. soldiers got a special treat on the 4th of July in 7, 1778. George Washington helped the troops celebrate by allowing them a double ration of A, whiskey, B, rum, C, hot dogs, or D, Sam Adams beer. Kevin? Uh, B, rum. Brian? A, whiskey. It's rum! (laughs) I win! I still win! No, no, no! (laughs) Happy 4th of July, Brian. Happy 4th of July, my man. Happy 4th of July. (laughs) And listeners, happy 4th of July. We hope you enjoy our 4th of July quiz, and we hope you join us back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. on The Common Good. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And again, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.